All right, good evening, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, that's where we'll be tonight, Galatians 3. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. Paul is such a a wonderful writer. You've given him such a wonderful brain, legal mind. Um, You used everything in his past to help him for moments like these. And um, we appreciate that. And every one of us has those giftings that you've given us that are useful in the world, but are more useful in your kingdom. And we just thank you for his willingness to serve you. We pray that you teach us tonight, that your Holy Spirit would be our guide. You lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a quick recap. Paul is trying to straighten out the Galatians. Wherever Paul went, Remember who he is. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, a part of the Sanhedrin, the top 80 legal minds in Israel, if not probably the top himself, as he was a professor that would lead people and teach people how to be legalists. So, I mean, he knew his stuff. And so last week we read about God taking him up into Arabia for three years and wasn't seen for public ministry until after that. And you can imagine the kind of conversations Paul had with Jesus, as Jesus was his instructor. Going through everything that he knew about the law, going through everything he understood about the coming Messiah, and Jesus answering every one of those questions, you can see why it wasn't very public. It was probably way over most of our heads. But when he comes out of there, he is fully convinced and fully understands with his great legal mind that God gave him that Jesus is the Messiah, that grace is the only way that the promise of Abraham is given to all, and that even the Jews must believe like the Gentiles. And so he has gone throughout the region, starting little churches. He's a little firebrand, Paul. Wherever he went, the gospel was preached, and people believed, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and he moved on, leaving them with a a leadership of some sort, sometimes leaving Timothy behind to set up that leadership. But that's what he did. And sometimes he'd circle back around. That's why we have several missionary trips of Paul, three of them that we can track. And as he hears about the Galatians, the region of Galatia, several churches there, he hears that the Judaizers, make no mistake about it, it's one thing they're interested in, and it's circumcision, because that's the easy route for them. He hears about these Judaizers coming in behind him. And of course, that should always raise flags for anybody. Why not come when Paul's there? Because they know they can't hold a candle to his brain. Can you imagine debating him? Paul, I think you're wrong. Oh, really? You know, let's talk about it. So they would wait till Paul left, and they'd have a fresh batch of new believers that didn't know anything, you know, greenies, newbies. And they would come in and let them know, hey, by the way, There's a minor surgery involved. Well, Paul heard about this, and so he's circling back around with a letter this time, but probably will visit later on. And he's not happy with them. Now, Paul toggles and struggles, I think, as all of us do, between, like if you have a kid, don't play in the street, and I'm mad at you right now because I love you, you know. Don't chase the ball in the street. 
Paul struggles with this. I love you and I want you to continue in what you first believed, but I'm also mad at you that you've turned so quickly from what I taught you because it's an offense, obviously. I gave you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and you went ahead and believed a lie. And it bothers me that you believed a lie. The book of Galatians is probably one of the most important books for any maturing believer to understand and to grapple with and to get. I don't think anybody should minister in the church anywhere in any church until they understand what grace is, what they understand, what the promise is, what they understand, what faith is, and that they understand that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody searching or or, or working in a church, serving in a church with people that doesn't understand these things is working off of some sort of system of legalism. They may not call it that, but that's what it is. And until they understand grace, they have no business teaching anybody anything about the Bible. It's so important. He begins off chapter 3, starts chapter 3 with a pretty strong exhortation. Oh, foolish Galatians. Well, I know I've read in the scriptures you're not supposed to call people fool. Raka. I know that's what it says. And yet here goes Paul. Apparently there's some exceptions to this rule. Now, he's not saying foolish like you're mentally deficient and can't comprehend. What he's upset with is there's willful ignorance involved. There's a big responsibility for us as Christians because we are responsible for our growth. We're responsible to read, we're responsible to know, to retain, and to apply. God isn't going to do it for us. As much as I'd love to lay this Bible underneath my pillow at night and through osmosis, get everything I'm supposed to get, that's not how it works. The glory of God to conceal a matter, it's the glory of kings to search it out. It's, he's given us a pickaxe. It's time to dig. and Look for those gold nuggets. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed. And he's talking about his gospel that he shared with them. I clearly portrayed the gospel of Jesus Christ before you. Most of these people weren't at the crucifixion, so that's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about is, I gave you the gospel and you believed it. You obeyed the truth, but now you've moved from it. And he says it's a bewitching that's taken place. That's being spellbound. What was it about the shiny object that caused you to be enamored with it, to cause you to want to move away from what I taught you to this new shiny thing? Walking by grace, walking by faith is, is difficult. It is. It's easy. It's supposed to be freeing. It's supposed to be this wonderful, and it is when you first get saved. But for some reason, as we continue to walk, it gets exhausting to think about walking with somebody and conversing with somebody and having somebody lead you and guide you. Just give me a list. I just want a list. And the Judaizers come in behind Paul and say, we've got a list. It's an easy one. We just want your foreskin. That's it. That's all they ask for. Because they don't stick around, these Judaizers, to teach to help these guys mature, they come in and say, minor surgery, done. They walk away, and it's all complete, you know, with everybody laying down for three days. That's all they cared about. They were hunters. 
Jesus is upset and says, you've been bewitched by these things. Who has done this to you? Because it was not the Holy Spirit is what he's going to get at. Somebody, a man, a person has come into your life and has ruined your faith or is ruining your faith. And you're going into it. Eyes wide open. Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. This is my question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? That's my question. Now, this is where the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes into play when I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the teaching tonight. Paul says it should be and is evident in your life that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so he's not even questioning whether that's happened in somebody's life. He's saying it has happened. I've witnessed it. You've experienced it. I want you to tell me how that happened. Not if it happened, whether it happened, but how. I don't want to make a big deal out of it tonight, but it's kind of a big deal. Paul doesn't even address the fact of whether it is for today or tomorrow. It's an automatic thing that has play. How did it happen to you? Was it by faith or was it by the flesh? The second thing we want to notice about this statement is that it's an or. It can't be both. It's one or the other, and that's always how it is. And Paul will elaborate on that as he goes through this whole book. If you are walking in the Spirit, that's one thing. If you're walking by the law, it's another thing, but you cannot do both at the same time. It's one or the other. And you've moved from the Spirit to the law, and I want you to tell me, how did you get the Holy Spirit? Was it when you believed? Of course it was. Paul left them filled with the Holy Spirit. They were walking in newness of life. They were new creations in Christ. They were experiencing the miracles of God in their life. Gifts were coming forth from their lives. It was an amazing thing. Paul left a thriving church. He says, so how did you improve upon that by cutting off your foreskin? How did that help? Did you get more of the Holy Spirit? Did the Holy Spirit come after that? Tell me. It's a rhetorical question. Of course it came by the hearing of faith. Of course it came by the Spirit, not by the law. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? How in the world can that help you improve your walk, make you better, make you more acceptable to God? Now, Paul is not arguing for the uh, abolishment of the law at all. Paul said that in several other texts. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying this. I'm saying that that's not how we get to God. I am made righteous in Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. I'm put into Christ, and he'll say as much in this chapter. And because I'm placed inside Christ, whatever happened to Christ happened to me. Whatever happens to Christ happens to me because I'm in Christ. It's a very simple thing. Now, we can expound and make it more complex. Like if we're teaching the three to four-year-olds, that's what we'll tell them. We'll take a set of Russian nest-nesting dolls. Maybe other countries make them, but it's, it's from Russia originally. And you'll say, this is you, and this is Jesus, and you put them in, the, and you close them in and say, that's you. Now, he's going to heaven, and you're going with him, and that's how you're saved. And that's, that's enough. Now, we want to know, how do we get in there? I mean, you can, we can go into great detail as we get older and more adulty. 
we can start thinking, now how does that work? What are the mechanics of all that? And I try to tell the adults, and I'll say it many different ways tonight because I think this is one of the most important topics to get. So I'll say the same thing different ways because it reaches different people. But if there's a plane that's bound for California, Los Angeles, let's be specific, and that's heaven, I know. Maybe I should reverse that. Maybe it's coming from L.A. and landing in Kansas City. That doesn't help at all. But anyway, the plane's destined for its destination. It's going there. That's Jesus. The gospel is believing that it's going there, and you climb on board, and now you are in Christ. And now that plane takes off, and it is sure to land where it's going. Now, it takes a long time. And in mid-flight, you may be running up and down the aisles, wondering if it's really going to get there, doubting its destination. And yet, there you are in Christ. You will reach your destination. When you land there and you get out of the plane, oh, I'm in heaven. That's the idea. We can do all sorts of things inside the plane. That makes no difference. The plane's going where it's going. We're in Christ. Your salvation is secure. Paul's not debating that. What he's concerned with is you trying to climb out on the wings and flap. That's what the law represents here. Let me get on top and let me help it go. Maybe I should kick a little. Will that help it? No, you'll probably fall off. And that's the problem with the law. The law was designed to say you need to get to Los Angeles and you need to fly there. I'll go. I can't. My arms aren't fast enough. I can't kick long enough. I'm way too heavy. Or you could get in this plane over here. Good enough. Gravity's against me. Wind speed's against me. My own physical abilities against me. I'm getting in the plane. That's what the law does. It teaches us to get in the plane, to get in Jesus. And that's how you get there. So that's one way of explaining it. Paul doesn't understand why they'd want to get out of the plane, why they'd want to try the route that led them or the way that led them to get into the plane to begin with. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? How in the world can you help Jesus get you to heaven? You can't. Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Paul's concerned. They've come a long way. They've experienced so many things in the Lord. Now, suffered is an interesting word. It could be translated lots of different ways, but suffering's okay. You've received a lot of persecution for following Jesus. People are upset with you. Even the Judaizers don't necessarily like the idea of grace. But have you experienced the Holy Spirit and the giftings of the Holy Spirit and the miracles of God in your life and the change and the transformation that's take place? And now you're going to stop all that progress and go back. Verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you, which is God, and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? There it is again. It's one or the other. It's not both. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now he brings in the subject. He is a great lawyer and he's on the stage now, and he's bringing people to that understanding. Now, we've started with the and and the or, the law, or by faith. Now we're moving to the father of our faith, Abraham, and he's trying to progressively take them through a logical understanding of their salvation. 
How did you get the Spirit? Did God do it and do the miracles that He did because you obeyed the law because of your circumcision? No, of course not. It's because you believed like Abraham. Now, the quoting of that scripture, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, it reminds them of the moment. See, Abraham believed God about having this child and that was accounted to him for righteousness. That's all God wanted. Abraham is 430 years before the law was written. Paul will tell us that here shortly. Nor had Isaac been born, nor had circumcision taken place. He just believed God. And that was accounted to him for righteousness. And anybody that wants to have a relationship with God has to believe like Abraham did. Including the Jews. Including those who received the law. They have to believe. So did these things happen by the law or the hearing of faith? By the hearing of faith, of course, because they were doing the law beforehand. The Jews in Jerusalem, maybe not the folks in Galatia, but the folks in Jerusalem were, and that wasn't working. But now they're having this amazing experience. We don't have such uh, strong, obvious uh, problems, but you do have people that will creep into a fellowship, a church, And they come for a while, and they see the grace and the mercy, and that's okay, but they can also see where there could be some improvement in this fellowship, and so they begin to whisper at the coffee station, or they take you out for lunch sometime. Hey, I'd like to talk to you about about, the Bible and the different translations that there are. Oh yeah, I'd love to talk about the Lord. This is great, because you're a brand new believer who just wants to talk about Jesus with everybody, and they want to take me out to lunch. What a great afternoon. And all it's going to be is, now do you... Do you know why you only you don't use the King James Version? Well, I don't know. Pastor does New King James, so we just bought a New King James. Hmm. I see there that you had an NIV Bible. And so the conversation goes, and we're not talking about Jesus at all. Now we're talking about a different form of circumcision. Because they'll be happy as soon as you buy a King James Bible. Mission accomplished. They're reading the King James. They won't stay and teach you. They won't stay and help you. They won't mentor you. They won't do anything. But now that you've got your King James Bible, that's good enough for me. On to the next NIV positive person, you know. We still have the same problem. Comes in different forms. We like hymns. None of these choruses, these new modern choruses. You do know that the hymns were old bar tunes with new lyrics given to them, right? I'd love to make a list of those for people. Nothing wrong with hymns. I love hymns. God hasn't stopped giving us music. He's still giving us music. It didn't stop in the 1800s. We're moving on. And we're going to do some old hymns, and we're going to do some beautiful Christmas carols, and we're going to do some new ones. We've got one that we're going to do on Christmas Eve, and even I was listening going, I don't know if I can sing that lyric. It seems strange on Christmas Eve to sing that. But you know who will like to sing that lyric? Those who are 20 years old and younger, which is our next generation of people growing up in the church, by the way, unless we don't want that. And we do want to just slowly age and decay into nothingness. No. There's always Judaizers. There's always some form of that moving through a church. And boy, you've got to be careful and keep your antenna up to stay in the grace of God, to stay walking by faith. 
Which was it? He says. These are all rhetorical questions. He doesn't need answers. Verse 7, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Mm, That's a pretty strong statement. Before you answer, which is it, law or faith? Only those who are sons of faith are sons of Abraham. Got it? Well, it leaves you with one answer, doesn't it? And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. God said that. He also described that seed. Remember he said to Eve, your seed, and it's a capital S in in Genesis. He's not talking about people. He's talking about a specific person, meaning Jesus Christ. He's that seed. All the nations are going to be blessed by that seed. He does the same thing for Abraham. Those who believe like you do, Abraham, are the ones that are saved. Those are your true sons. Not bloodline, but those who believe by faith are your sons. It's a much stronger heritage than just blood relatives. The Jews would go around saying, our Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was their lineage. Those are the three they named. And of course, David, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's what they go over and over again, because that's our bloodline. That's the line that God follows is Abraham, then to Isaac, not Ishmael, then Jacob, not Esau. That's us, not that other group. But God says, no, the promise was made to Abraham for all those lines. I want everybody to come to me by faith. I want the whole world to know me. And they're all going to be blessed by Jesus. And every single person needs to know Jesus. And every single person will be blessed by that seed. I want them all to know. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, he writes that because he wants them to know it's not just the Ten Commandments. It's the book of the law, all of them. Now, when he says under, he means you believe you're going, in in other words, like you're in Christ, you're either in Christ or you're under the law. That's what he means. The two different paths that you can take to try to get to heaven. In Christ, it's by faith. Under the law, that means you have to keep everything perfectly. And the moment you break one, now you're in trouble. You can no longer go to heaven once you break any of the laws one time. Not repeatedly, just once. So you can be perfect, perfect, perfect till you're 99 years old, which doesn't happen, but suppose you were. And on your 99th birthday, right before you die, you break one of the commandments, that's it. All that's for naught. Doesn't make any difference. Those who are trying to get to heaven, which is what the Judaizers were saying, Jesus is great, we love our Messiah, but you must keep the law. Part of that is circumcision. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Yet the law is not of faith, but when the man who does them shall live by them. That makes it an interesting phrase. He, the way he writes this, the, the phraseology that he uses here is to explain that it doesn't do any good to have the law, to know the law, you have to do the law. And so he says, to show 
in the sight of God is evident that nobody's going to be justified by it. The just live by faith. That's clear back in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4. Yet the law is not of faith, just knowing the law, having the thought law, trusting that the law exists. That's not. But the man who does them shall live by them. That's the only way you're going to live. That's the only way you go to heaven is if you do them all the time. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now he is moving, I'm telling you ahead of time where he's going with this, he's, he's progressively taking us, now he's talking about promise. He's, in, he's um, magnifying that word because there's, there's a promise and then there's a contract. Those are, it's the same thing we've been talking about, faith versus law, promise versus contract, okay? So he's moving them into a legal thought here. I want to give you the promise of God through because you've believed I've taken the curse of all sin upon myself on the tree. Now you can believe me, and that's accounted to you for righteousness like it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. When Jesus says, if I am high and lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, he was not talking about magnify me, make me majestic. He was saying, if, you are, if I am high and lifted up, literally on a cross, I will draw all men to myself. And he explains in John 3, just like the serpent in the wilderness had to be put up on that pole, nobody knew how that worked back then. Nobody understood what was happening. They just made the pole and put the serpent on it and laid it there and said, now everybody that looks at this gets saved. And it says those who looked at it got saved, which means there were many that didn't. Of all the people that were bitten by snakes in the Old Testament during that time of Moses, when they were being naughty again, God provided a way for them to be healed from their naughtiness, the sickness that they were carrying within themselves. Look to the pole, look to the serpent, and you'll be healed. Some did and some didn't. Why they didn't, I can only speculate. How in the world is that going to help me? I need a balm. I need a, I need a shot. I need something. But to look at that thing makes no sense. No. What makes sense is God told you to do it. That's why it works. Because God said, I want you to do this. It could have been anything. Take Naaman, for example. He's got leprosy. I want you to go dunk yourself seven times in the river over there. What? Just do what I said. And he reluctantly went. And you can imagine how that dunking went. I don't want to go. My rivers were cleaner in my place. I thought he was going to wave his hands over me, he says. The servant pleads with him, hey, if he had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Although this is a simple thing, just do it. Just believe the prophet of God and do what he says and see what happens. And so you can see him over in this river, Jordan, going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. See? Oh, you know. Look to the serpent, look to the pole. Fast forward. Jesus is high and lifted up. How does the cross work? I don't know. God said, look to the cross, and that's how I get healed. I've got a sin problem. I've got a law problem. I've broken the law. I am, I am convicted. I have guilt. I have shame. I know where my destiny is. I, have, I cannot be in the presence of a holy God in my condition. What do I do about this sickness, this illness? I'm dying. The serpent's bitten me. Look to the cross. Some will. Some won't. 
Seems ridiculous, but it's the same thought. Whether it's Naaman just believing the prophet, could have been anything. Whether it was the children of Israel just believing Moses and what God told them to do, or whether it's believing Jesus just doing what he said to do. Believe on Jesus. It's got to be by faith. So, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become cursed for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. At the blessing of Abraham the promise might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's what we want. What's the difference between a promise and a contract? As we move into that in this next section, a promise is one-sided, isn't it? Kids, I'm going to take you to Disney World. I'm going to believe you, Dad. And you think I shouldn't have said that before I'd saved up the money for... Disney World. Side note, someone did the math on what they spent the first day at Disneyland. Got to go on one ride, or Disney World, even though they they had the fast track pass, they got to go on one ride because it was still a 126-minute wait for all the fast tracks. $7,000 their first day at Disney World. Now, they ate at all the good restaurants. They had their reservations set up, and I'm thinking, wow. So before you promise, this is just a side note and a blessing to boot. Before you promise, (laughs) do the math. You'll need 20 grand to go to Disney World. That's a promise. It's one-sided. The kids are not expected to make sure that we get there. You may raid their piggy bank. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you're not ex- they're not expected to do anything. It's a one-sided. The promise to Abraham was you're justified by believing me. There's nothing you need to do but believe me that I'm going to save you. There's nothing Moses says you guys need to do, but believe me and look at the cross. There's nothing Jesus says you just need to believe me and look at it. It's a promise. It's one-sided. The contract, on the other hand, which is the law, is if you do this, then I'll do this. You are now responsible for your half of the contract. Jen, do you have your purse with you? I need a dollar. You got a dollar? I was going to get set up for this, and I didn't do it. I don't care. I'll take all your money. That's great. Perfect. I need a piece of paper, too. Scratch paper. Thanks. Okay. Now, this is where Paul's leading us here. Okay. I will give you this dollar if you sign. I'm going to pick a kid because if I give it to an adult, you'll try to give it to me later afterwards. Who wants to, what kid in here, a younger person, wants a dollar? Who, do you want this dollar? All you have to do is sign your name and you can have this dollar. Do you want it? Who will take this dollar and keep it? All right, Mariah's like, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> she knows. I got, but before you do, you just got to sign. Just sign your name underneath there. Perfect. Great. Thank you. Here's your book. I, I didn't lie. That's a fact. Now we're just going to let this contract sit there. I wrote my part. I better sign it too. Okay, there. That'll stand in the court. Sure. Keep that in mind. 
Paul moves on to the promise. Verse 15, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, colon. So here's the manner of men. I'm going to liken a spiritual truth to what we go through every single day. Though it is only a man's covenant, a contract, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it, right? Can't. The contract states, I will give you this dollar if you sign, J.D. Dirks, Mariah signed it. She got the dollar. The contract's fulfilled, right? You cannot add or take away from that. Now, to Abraham and his seed, capital S, were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. That's the seed, capital S, one person, Jesus Christ. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. If I take this contract now and I start writing below the signatures, you must... Wash my truck. It's a big truck, Mariah. Every day until you die. Thank you for signing the contract. That doesn't work, does it? You can't do that. That's illegal. We have something in the real estate called Dot Loop. It's a wonderful electronic signing program, way better than DocuSign. I absolutely love it. And what I can do is I can get all my contracts put on there, and we can electronically sign because I deal with people all over. So you can send it here, send it there, have them sign it. That's great. Signatures on there, it's great. If I go into that contract and change any part of those fields, anything at all, it erases everybody's signature. You have to start over, which is good, right? It's protection. That's what Paul's saying. You cannot add to the promise of God. The promise of God is sure, and it's to Abraham. You cannot add 435 years later a law and say, yeah, oh yeah, and by the way, you have to keep this too to keep the promise. To have the promise of God, you have to keep the law also. You can't do that. You have a whole new contract. You have a whole new way. You cannot do that. For if there is the inheritance, or for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. You cannot add to it. Verse 19, the next question, he knows where they're going. What purpose then does the law serve? Then what's the point? That's always the question of the legalist. Well, then why did he give it? And what's the big deal? And why do we have that? You're making, you're dismissive about the words of God. No, I'm not at all. Paul's going to explain to us what the law was for. It was added, added, because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. You hear that? The law was added until the seed should come. Has the seed come? Of course it has. Of course he has. 
What purpose has the law served? It was added because of transgressions. Two things have taken place with the law. 435 years later, after the promise was given to Abraham, he's watching his people and they're sinning and they're sinning and they're sinning. Two things take place when you write it down. When you write the law down, when you write the character of God down, when you show him what holiness truly looks like on pen and paper or on stone from the top of the mountain, which is what Paul's going to focus on now, the Ten Commandments. When you put that down and you place that, it is going to do two things. First of all, it's going to bring guilt. Whoa. You know, the second thing it's going to do is it's going to bring restraint. They're not going to stop sinning, but they're certainly going to be more aware of it than if you hadn't written it all down. So he gave us the Ten Commandments. You guys just keep transgressing. It's like nothing to you. No, I want you to know that's not who I am. I'm this person and you're offensive. And the reason the promise is going to have to come, the seed, what Eve and Adam did and everybody else in the process and everybody around Noah, you know, uh, you guys are just going willy-nilly on these things. So I'm writing this down. No to these things. This is who I am. Is the law bad or is the law good? It's absolutely good. It doesn't do us a bit of good. Don't misunderstand me. I don't think it helps us at all, except to show us our guilt. But it's God's character. We don't diminish that at all. The Ten Commandments are beautiful and wonderful. I mean, thank goodness we have a God that doesn't want us to murder. Yay. Or steal. Or commit adultery. Or have other gods. Because he likes us so much. I don't want to have any other gods in my presence. And so on. They're wonderful commandments. Because they're his character. But we're supposed to read those commandments and say, I've broken a few of those, if not all of them. It was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So this came down to the Jews to show them, look, this is what happens. Now with the Ten Commandments also came the way to deal with infractions. The sacrifices were instituted then also. So, no, we're not going to just have this like Abraham did up until Moses, this 435 years of, well, you know, lollygagging around with your sin. No, no, no. I'm going to enumerate them, and I'm going to show you what you need to do to get them off your record or at least temporary, temporarily cover them until Jesus comes. I'm going to have you kill animals. I'm going to have you sacrifice. I'm going to have punitive things take place. And the law was written, both sides of it. So now every time you broke one of the Ten Commandments, you had to come up with a lamb or some sort of financial situation. You know, you had to pay for your sins. And I didn't take care of them eternally, or spiritually, but it did take them so that you can continue to worship and have fellowship with God until Christ came. That's why Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one that takes away the sin of the world and the guilt of it. The mediators come. Now this is an interesting thing. You'll get no place else in the scriptures, but the Ten Commandments were given to Moses through mediators, through angels. We were written with the finger of God, but there was some kind of buffer there. Still, even in that moment when he's up there, and he's getting that Shekinah glory. You know how he came down and he was all glowing and stuff? Apparently, he had to have some distance because he couldn't be in the presence of a holy God as an unholy person. And so we see this here. Angels were given, gave, gave them the, uh, the law. Interesting. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one, but God is one. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. 
I think I just explained that. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. See how he's going back and forth between the promise and and the law. You've got to go by the promise. God fulfills both sides of it. Faith in Jesus. Faith that the one who said he's going to get me to heaven, will get me to heaven. I believe God at his word. I believe that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to take me to heaven. I believe his sacrifice on the cross is going to pay for my sins. That's all it is. We can get more complicated with it, but that's all we need to teach in Sunday schools to help them to understand that. The law is meant as a tutor to bring people to Jesus, to show them their need for a Savior. Verse 23, but before faith came... We were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Very clear. Paul is very clear on this. The law was meant to show us our differences between God's holiness and our lack And we needed to figure out what we're supposed to do with this lack. How do we make up the difference? How do I bridge the gap? You've seen many tracts written, I'm sure. You've read Christian tracts where there's this gulf, this chasm, and you're on one side and God is on the other side. How do I bridge this chasm? There's no way for me. And then the cross appears and Jesus is the way for you to get across to God. He's the only way to bridge the chasm. The law is meant to show us our need. In Montana, they have a, a highway there, not like the Audubon in Germany, that has no speed limit. The, the signs on the side of the road in this Montana stretch, I mean, it's a stretch of straight nothingness, um, is whatever's prudent for the road conditions. So if it's raining, don't be going that fast, but still pretty ambiguous. I mean, <laughs> and so a lot of people have taken their Corvettes and their, you know, their supercars up there because they're really going to get on it. We're really going to get this baby and we're going to do it legally. No, if you're going 180 in a Bugatti, you're still getting pulled over for not driving what's prudent, right? That's how they were from, from, from Abraham all the way up to Moses and the law. I was only going 180. No, no, no. I said, do, I, okay, we need, we need signs. We need speed limit signs. And as soon as the law was put up, now everybody's guilty. There's no arguing. There's no wondering. You drive your Bugatti at 180 past the 85 mile an hour speed limit sign because that's where they're at now. They went, ooh, that's a felony. It brought guilt. Is there anything wrong with the sign? Is the sign at fault? Do we hate the sign? Is the sign bad? No, the sign just let me know. That's all the law does is to let us know that we're guilty. Okay. Now the question is, what do I do to get out of the ticket, out of the felony? It drives me to a lawyer. It drives me to an advocate. It drives me to someone who can plead the case in front of the judge, who's Jesus Christ. He pleads my case. Jesus says, I've paid the price. I've paid the fine. I've paid the penalty. This person goes free. That's the idea. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
If you were baptized in Christ, you were put on Christ. That's that nesting doll, doll thing I said, that little Russian, you're in Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Nobody gets saved any better or any worse than the other person. It's souls, and that's it. That's all God sees. The woman's soul, the man's soul, the free soul, the slave's soul, the Gentile soul, the Jewish soul are all hidden in Christ, and they all get saved the same exact way. There is, not, there is no more uh, hyphens. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir. You're, his, you're, you're, you're a relative and heir according to the promise. So whatever God promised Abraham because he believed by faith, when you believe by faith, you become Abraham's child. Okay? Doesn't get any clearer than that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart. We could take a a lot longer time going through all these things, but your Holy Spirit's a good teacher. We pray that as we chew on these things, and for some of us, it may have been the first time we've ever heard that it's not a scale, it's not a, I'm better than the person next to me. It's truly, as we line ourselves up against the law, all become guilty. All are equally guilty. All equally need Jesus. And this, tonight we know that. But now we can also have that freedom again, that, that rest from our labors, from our works, from our trying to, and failing. We love the law. We want to we be like you, Jesus, but we want to come from salvation, not for it. And I pray that you'd help us to get that deep in our hearts, that we truly understand grace. We truly understand the promise, the faith that we have. Now we'll be able to share that with other people because that's what makes the gospel good news and not bad news. These Judaizers brought bad news, Lord. Help us to be very aware when people bring that bad news into our lives, when they add anything to Jesus and what you've done for us on the cross, that we can quickly dismiss it because we are complete in you. Lord bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. I'll be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.